Good morning to you all. Um, I'm Jamie, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the book of Acts, the New Testament book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one of the black ones from the pew in front of you, and you will find Acts chapter 6, which is where we'll spend our time together. Acts chapter 6 on page 914. Acts chapter 6. Pastor Steve had already mentioned we are in the middle of a short series called What is the Church? And we're doing this because as our two churches are seeking by God's grace to become one church, it would be fitting, I think, for us all to be refreshed or to learn for the first time what exactly is a church, what is the purpose of a church, how does she organize herself, what does she do, and all that goes along with this. So a couple of weeks ago, we saw that a church is the redeemed community of God built on Christ, who models Christ, proclaims Christ, and points everyone to Christ. And last week, we saw that God, in His kindness, has gifted to His church certain individuals whose job it is to help the church realize her purpose. Elders and pastors, as they're called, are men that God has gifted to His church to lead her, to feed her, to protect her, to care for her, in order to increase her joy in the Lord and her fruitfulness in the kingdom. And today we look at another set of individuals the Lord has given to His people to help her in her purpose. We call these individuals deacons. Deacons can trace their beginnings to the book of Acts chapter 6. And so that's where we will spend most of our time together. Although toward the end we will look at a section of 1 Peter, or I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 3. So here's what we'll do. I'll go ahead and read Acts chapter 6, verse 1 down to verse 6. And ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then we'll work through these verses a little bit at a time. Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Icanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient 
to the faith. Would you pray? There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so, Lord, as we seek to become one church, would you unite us into your one Son? That we would sing with one voice the praise of Almighty God, the one true God. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I played sports in high school for a little while until I got a girlfriend and realized that I liked her better than sports. Then I stopped playing sports. While I was in sports, no one called me the GOAT. And if they had called me the GOAT, I'm not sure that I would have taken that as a compliment because it wasn't until later that the phrase greatest of all time became known with the acronym G-O-A-T, GOAT. So no one has ever accused Jamie Wellman of athletic greatness and most especially not when he's compared against literally anyone else. The greatest of all time is a hotly debated Subject in sports, title in sports, it sparked many barstool arguments. Is the greatest of all time Michael Jordan, or is it LeBron James, or Kobe Bryant, or Will Chamberlain? Is it Babe Ruth, or Hank Aaron, or is it someone else? Is it Tom Brady, or Joe Montana, or Jerry Rice, or Bernie Kosar? Lots of people think Bernie Kosar is the greatest of all time. The disciples of Jesus Christ had this debate, not about the greatest football player of all time, of course, but about themselves, actually. Silly boys, they had it twice. It is one of my favorite things that the disciples do in the Gospels. They are literally standing in the presence of the uncreated creator, the sustainer of the universe, a being of limitless power and knowledge, and they're arguing over which one of them is greater than the other. Boys will be boys. And the Lord Jesus uses this occasion to, well, to gently rebuke his disciples, but also to teach on greatness. And Jesus taught them, and he teaches us, that our idea of greatness is turned upside down. Here are the Lord's words in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 and 28, concerning greatness. Jesus said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Greatness, then, is not determined by domination or by achievement. Greatness is determined by serving. Or more to our point today, greatness is determined by deaconing. You see, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and the word translated in your English Bible as servant or serve is the same word for deacon. 
Jesus was teaching his disciples that whoever would be great among you must be your deacon. (laughs) Most surprisingly, though, he said he was a deacon. The one being most worthy of praise and glory and majesty, most glorified, most exalted, the one to whom belong all the kingdoms of this world, the one to whom angels sing. The Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon. The greatest among you must be your servant. Deacons are the goat. So this is how we'll approach this subject of deacons this morning. First, we will look at their origin in Acts chapter 6, and then we'll consider a few things from this passage that deacons do. And then finally, we'll consider the qualifications of deacons, as I mentioned earlier from 1 Timothy chapter 3. So a simple outline this morning. What is a deacon? What does a deacon do? And where do we find them? What is a deacon? What do they do? And where do we get one? All of this driving home the main point, which is this. That God gives qualified deacons to his church to meet her physical needs, preserve her unity, and support the ministry of the word in and through her. That God gives qualified deacons to his church to meet her physical needs and to preserve her unity and to support the ministry of the word in her and through her. We'll see this, I think, in all, all in Acts chapter 6, but let's just read verse 1 one more time, the setting of these office of deacons. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Well, I hate to be the one to tell you this, I mean, how do I say it? Um, Sometimes church people complain. I know, it's hard to wrap your mind around this reality that sometimes church people complain about things. Sometimes church people's complaints are worthwhile complaints. And sometimes church people, if you can imagine it, bring complaints which are less than worthwhile complaints. Or so I've been told. And this complaint in Jerusalem is a worthwhile complaint. The Christian church as we know it has its origins in Acts chapter 2. The Lord Jesus gave his mission to his disciples. He ascended into heaven with the promise that the Holy Spirit would fall upon them and they would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And this happened. The Holy Spirit fell. And the early believers began to tell of the wonders of God to everyone who was gathered. And you'll remember the Apostle Peter stands up and preaches and 3,000 people are saved and baptized. Great time. It was a really great time. The church met all the time. They shared meals together. They prayed together. The apostles taught them all about Jesus. And these Christians literally sold out for Jesus. They were so committed to the good news of Jesus Christ going to the ends of the earth, they sold everything they had, donated it to the church for the spread of the gospel. They pooled all their resources together, and they shared everything in common. We call that a cult. They just called it church. 
And everything was good. Right up until it wasn't. The Hellenists, who are Greek-speaking Jews, noticed that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food, which everyone shared. Now, of course, this could have been a simple oversight of the early church. I mean, after all, it's a big church, 3,100 people. But it sure seems like this is a more culturally motivated neglect. And you have to understand that life for a widow in the first century was rather dire. This is Palestine, a patriarchal society. The well-being of a woman is largely determined by the patriarch and her family, be it her father or her husband. And if her husband died, she was in a rather perilous situation. There was no job and family services. There were no food assistance services. And job prospects for women were rather low. Her situation was dire. If her husband's brothers couldn't take her in and care for her, she was in deep trouble. And can you imagine her anxiety if she had children to care for? Well, Jesus Christ revolutionized first century notions of women. Jesus taught women, which, which no rabbi did in his day. And women were some of his most loyal disciples. Actually, it was women who were the first testifiers to his resurrection. Women were among those 120 gathered in the upper room at Pentecost. And this is because God has always had a special place for women, for widows, and for, for orphans. And so these first Christians just carried on the Lord's own view of women and of widows and of orphans. They took care of widows in the early church. In fact, if you're following along in the church's one-year Bible reading plan, yesterday morning you read 1 Timothy chapter 5 where you read about an enrollment that the early church kept of widows, making sure, of course, that they would have enough funds set aside to care for these widows. And here in Jerusalem, Greek-speaking widows are being neglected. Their physical needs are not being met. And this is threatening to undo the church's unity and, as Pastor Steve mentioned earlier, distract them from their purpose. And so the apostles knew that they needed to do something about this. And so what did they do? They created the office of deacon. These seven men chosen in Acts chapter 6 are sort of like proto-deacons. But you might be wondering, how can you say that? The word deacon isn't even in Acts chapter 6. Well, yes, it is. Three times, actually. And you'll see that as we go along. So what have we learned so far? Deacons are servants. Deacons are servants. Servants are deacons. And next we're going to see what does a deacon do. And from the verses that follow, we're going to learn three things that a deacon does. For taking notes, three things. One, they serve the physical needs of the body. Two, they preserve her unity. And three, they support the ministry of the Word. And I trust that you'll see that in the following verses. Let's read verse 2 down to 6. 
And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, choose out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they did, or what they said, pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Prochorus and Canor and Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So the apostles recognized that for the health of the church and for the continued ministry of the word in and through the church, there were certain people needed to care for the physical needs of the church. And so the first thing that deacons do is to meet specific physical needs in the church. Verse 3, pick out from among you seven men whom we will appoint to this duty. Specific people for a specific need. You see, there was, an, there was a need for unbiased, equitable distribution of food among a 3,120-member church. That's a Huge task. And so these deacons were appointed to spearhead meeting this need in the body. Now, of course, depending upon your church background, deacons may have done different things. You may have a different view of deacons. This is what they were in the New Testament. But over the centuries, they became all kinds of things in the church. In the medieval church, they institutionalized the office of deacon. And in some churches that you go to, a deacon is sort of like a stepping stone to becoming a priest or a pastor. The biblical ministry of deacons was largely recovered during the Reformation of the 16th century. And during those days, deacons oversaw the church's ministry to the poor. They took care of the church's facility. They cared for the sick. They prepared the Lord's table. And near as I can tell, this is how deacons function for most of the time since even in America, in the short history that we've had. But for some reason, and I'm really not sure why, in the early to mid-1900s, deacons in the West became more like a board of directors in the church, in a lot of churches. Sort of like a balance of power began between the, the elder board and the deacon board. Maybe like the way that the House and the Senate function in our legislative branch of government. But here in Acts chapter 6, deacons are not a center of governing power in the church. They are a collection of godly servants full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom commissioned to meet a specific need in the church in order to preserve her unity. And I told you the word deacon appears three times in Acts 6. Well, the first time is in verse 1. The widows are being neglected in the daily deaconing, the daily service, the daily distribution. That's the word deaconing. And the second time appears in verse 2. The apostles would not give up the preaching of the word to deacon tables. They needed certain qualified people to do this task. And so for this reason, the deacon is vitally important to every church. She cannot fulfill her God-given purpose without deacons doing what deacons do. 
If the physical needs of the body are unmet, then the spiritual health of the church suffers. And so the second thing that deacons do is preserve her unity. You should understand what's going on here. The Hellenists and the Hebrews are in disunity. A complaint from one came against the other. And the unity that exists in the church which Christ died to create is in jeopardy. And there, it seems to me that there is an intentionality that these Greek-speaking Jewish widows are being neglected. There is a crack in the hull of the boat, and the apostles saw deacons as the putty to mend the hole. These individuals ensured that no material concern or physical need would cause anyone in the church to feel neglected by the church or disconnected from the church. And so deacons are attuned to the physical needs of the body to preserve the spiritual unity of the body. The apostles put the need back on the body, the church, to choose seven men from among them whom they would appoint to the task. Now, there's something beautiful that I want you to see in verse 5, which is just a list of names. And usually when we come to lists of names in the New Testament, we tend to fly over those verses, but there's something important about these names. You must always be asking yourself, why this, why here, why now? With an economy of language the New Testament was written in, why, why would Luke, the author of Acts, take the time to list all the names of these seven individuals? Well, I don't know for sure. But I think it's at least for this reason. Every name listed in this verse is a Greek name. Every name is a Greek name. That means that the early church, which was majority Hebrew, chose seven Greeks to spearhead the distribution of food to the whole church. The majority people group chose an all-minority people group to address the division between them. With seemingly zero fear that these Hellenists would be partial towards their own people out of revenge or out of spite. Because in Christ, there's no us and them. There's just us. A people who understand who they are, who understand their purpose, who are committed to God's mission on the earth, have no time to squabble over personal preferences and no time to push their own agendas. And nor will they entertain fear of being misused or overlooked. They are singular in their focus, proclaiming the excellencies of Christ until Christ is all. And when they're not proclaiming the excellencies of Christ themselves, they're serving someone else who is. And so if you're here as a non-Christian, I'm just really glad you came to church today. There's a few things you should know. God created all man for His purpose. 
And each one of us have turned our own way to live our lives the way we want to live. The Bible says that no one is righteous. No one does good. And in our sin, we have cut ourselves off from our Creator and the purpose for which He made us. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. And the judgment from a just and holy God is eternal separation. But God, who is great in love and mercy, sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die in the place of sinners, like you and me. And all who turn to Him in faith will be forgiven of their sins and made right before God and adopted into His family, His church. Sinner, turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus Christ today. Find someone else and tell them you would like to become a Christian. And they'll pray with you and they'll talk with you more about being added to the family of God. You see, that's the thing. When you become a Christian, you are united to God's people. A people committed to both your spiritual well-being and your physical well-being. A people committed to care for you and to care about you. That as a Christian, you will never have to walk through anything alone. That God has given you an entire community of people committed to seeing you walk out God's purpose for your life. To your joy in following Christ. If you want to know more about that part of church life, well, then I would recommend that you come back next Sunday morning. We'll be considering that matter a little bit more. Three things that deacons do. Number one, they serve the physical needs of the church. Number two, they preserve the unity of the church. And number three, they support the ministry of the Word in and through the church. We see this in verses 2 and in 4. The apostles tell us, that the church exists to preach the Word of God and to pray. And the apostles are to lead. Their job is to preach and to pray. And they say, we can't preach and we can't pray and we can't lead and serve tables. And then we come to the third appearance of the word deacon. So the apostles can't deacon tables because they have a responsibility to pray and to deacon the Word. The word ministry is the same word for deaconing. And so in this sense, we are all deacons. Every Christian is called to pray and to minister the Word of God to others. Elders are those that that, that lead us to do this. And in the same way that all of us are called to be servants, deacons are the leading servants. All of us serve. Deacons are just those who are chosen by the church and appointed by elders to be the leading servants. And it's not that the apostles felt that serving tables was beneath them. They didn't delegate this this situation because they felt it wasn't important. They delegated it because they knew it was important. God made His people spiritual beings and physical beings. Both of them are important. So don't ever think that God only cares about your spiritual well-being. 
God cares deeply about your spiritual well-being and your physical well-being. The healing ministry of Jesus Christ alone proves that God cares about both. So God gives elders to care for His people spiritually, and He gives deacons to care for His people physically. Both are important, and we need both. And one of the jobs of the elders in leading the church is to keep the church focused on her purpose, to keep the main thing the main thing. And they can't do that without deacons, because without deacons, elders are then <clears throat> chained to the tyranny of the urgent, to the, usually the physical needs which feel so pressing to us, the cracks in the hull of the boat. And so the example of the apostles here is to teach us that elders are to remain committed to the ministry of the Word in and through the church, and the deacons are there to support that ministry. So deacons attend to the physical needs of the church so that the elders can be freed up to attend to the ministry of the Word in and through the church. But you understand that both of them have the same mission. And they are never to be set against one another in a struggle for control. These are complementary servants of the one mission of the church. Now, I'm going to say that again. They are never to be pitted against each other in a struggle for control. They are complementary servants of the one mission of God. Just earlier this morning, we, we usually gather a few of us in my office and we pray for the service. And uh, Corey and Mary were, were working on their worship set and getting the, everything tuned for you guys. And we were in the office and I had some music playing in, on my computer. And I could hear that music and I could hear this music and it was discordant. And I could hard, have a hard time focusing on the prayer. It's like that. If we have the deacons who have one goal and it's different than the elders who have one goal, and both of them are firing off, the church is lost in that and does not have a sense of her purpose. These ministries are meant to complement one another and balance one another. And when we have that balance, look at verse 7 as to what the Lord would do. In verse 7, the word continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So Cornerstone and Pickwa Baptist Church, if you want to see the Word of God increase in Piqua and in Miami County and the ends of the earth, pray that God would provide deacons and elders in our church. Do you want to see the number of Christians multiply in our city? Then pray that God would provide deacons and elders who pray humbly, fruitfully, selflessly serving the mission of God together in unity, not against one another. So deacons are servants of God, meant by God to serve the physical needs of the body, to preserve her unity, and to support the ministry of the Word in her and through her. And so the last question we'll ask before we wrap up is, where do we find these people? What are their qualifications? I mean, since they had such an important office in the church, and since the apostles found it wise to ask the church to choose from among them who would be the deacons, then we should probably know what to look for, right? And so if you have your Bible, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's page 992 in the church Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 3. You'll see the text on the screen. This is verse 8 down to verse 13. 
Here are the qualifications for deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. First thing I will draw out from this text about the qualifications for deacons is that every single one of them is a character qualifications. Every single one of them is a character qualification. So Paul is, doesn't seem at all concerned about how well a deacon can swing a hammer. He doesn't seem at all concerned about how well he can run a business. He seems very concerned about how well a deacon can follow Christ. So we learn that deacons must be dignified. The word means honorable, respectable, esteemed. Acts chapter 6 said they must be someone of good repute, good reputation. A deacon cannot be double-tongued. I mean, a deacon isn't someone who tells one person one thing and then tells another person something different. Nor can a deacon be addicted to much wine, which would indicate a lack of self-control and discipline. A deacon cannot be greedy for dishonest gain. Often the finances of the church are cared for and managed by the deacons, and so this makes sense. Verse 9 says, a deacon must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So deacons are to know their Bible, and their life should be lived in consistent consistency with their Bible. They should know their Bible. Deacons aren't somebody that just, just does stuff around the church but can't quote any scripture. Did you know that the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts was given by a deacon. Stephen, you just read him. And he showed in that sermon in Acts chapter 7 a profound understanding of Scripture and borrowing all over the New Testament, Old Testament, and gathering it together to show that Jesus is the Christ. And got him killed. So a deacon is somebody who knows the Bible and, in, and their life is consistent with the Bible. Verse 10 requires that deacons are to be tested before the elders appoint them. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how this testing works, but it does seem wise that a congregation should know something about a person's background, about their reputation, about their theological convictions before choosing them to serve. Let them be tested first. Now, there's debate about whether verse 11 is referring to deacons' wives or deaconesses. It should be noted that the word there in verse 11, and most of your English translations have the word there, that is an insertion. That possessive does not appear in the Greek. So in the Greek, it's literally women likewise. And so it is the conviction of your elders in both churches that the office of deacon is open to both qualified men and qualified women. 
And I think that is a correct reading of the text. Besides, when you get to Romans chapter 16, verse 1, the Apostle Paul is commending our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church at Centuria. That word servant, of course, means deacon. Same word. Actually, the same exact Greek word, letter for letter, that appears in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. So a deacon or a deaconess must not be a slanderer. They must not go around spreading gossip. I mean, consider the work that deacons do. It would stand to reason then that information stewardship would be critical. If deacons exist to preserve the unity of the church, then a deacon or a deaconess cannot go around talking about others behind their back. He or she must be sober-minded, meaning calm under pressure, rational, self-controlled. A deacon cannot be a hothead with a short fuse. They must be faithful in all things, faithful in their marriage, faithful to manage their household well. And then the apostle tells us those who serve well in this office gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith in Jesus Christ. So going back to Acts chapter 6, can you imagine the impact that the church had in the city of Jerusalem as the deacons were doing their job? And the sick was being cared for. The poor were being cared for. All the widows were being taken care of. All of them being served physically so that the ministry of the Word would continue to go forth as the reputation of Christ increased in the city and beyond. The Lord adding to the number of those who were being saved. This is what happens when deacons do what deacons do. Servants tending to, attuned to, the physical needs of the body to preserve her unity and to support the ministry of the Word. Whatever the Lord wills in bringing our two churches together, deacons are a vital part of that. Pray the Lord would strengthen the diaconal ministry of this new church as we move in that direction. The greatest among you must be your deacon. Deacons are the goat. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess that our view of greatness is upside down. And we've let the office of deacon um, languish. We've let the world define greatness without giving it a second thought. Would you forgive our neglect? We've looked down on serving as something beneath us. Please forgive us. We've neglected the menial work of the church, thinking too highly of ourselves. Please forgive us. We've found ourselves in squabbles about unimportant things, preferential things while neglecting the weightier matters of the mission, justice, mercy, faithfulness, and the clear gospel going to the ends of the earth. Lord, please forgive us. We praise you, Lord, that you have made us body and soul and that you sent Jesus to redeem both, that we've been bought with a price and we belong to you. Help us, O oh Lord, to glorify you with our bodies. We thank you for deacons, those you've given 
to care for us. Such a good caretaker you are. Such a good shepherd. And may the ministry of the deacons flourish in this body. And may we all be the happy beneficiaries of their serving. Cause your word to increase and multiply in Piqua as we witness more and more people coming to faith and added to the church until Jesus receives the praise he richly deserves. Amen. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, um, here is your assurance that God has forgiven you. Psalm chapter 86, verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Please stand to your feet. Pastor Doug is going to come and bless us.